0: Back to check the locks podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm
1: Olivia Cornu.
0: Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. As always, before we get into it, Olivia, the marathon runner, the marathon finisher, tell me all about it. How was your week? How was the marathon? I know I'm excited. I know in the Facebook group there's a ton of people that were rooting for you. So how did it go?
1: Yeah. So first off, thank you everybody who gave me a Congratulations and a good luck and all the love and support. I really appreciated it. And it sure made me smile when I went back and read everything. The marathon is done. It was tough. I am surprised that my body can run 26.2 miles. Um, it rained about 75% of the race. So it was a little chilly. <laughs> it was a lot of rain, very soggy. My shoes were probably an extra pound of just water weight. Um, but we all finished. And I'm now a marathoner. I have ran a marathon.
0: (laughs) So congratulations, of course. But finishing it, like, did you walk away being like, I just ran a marathon?
1: Oh, my gosh. I cried. So a real quick story before we jump in. I wasn't planning on having my family there. Um, And so my cousin lives in town, so she came and cheered along the way. And then the guy who had coached us, his daughter and her husband showed up to cheer us on along the way as well as our friend Michael who ran with us, his sister came. And so we're running about mile 20 and all of a sudden I hear, hey pretty ladies. And I turn over and it is my mom and my sister. They drove from my hometown, which is a six hour car ride, came, showed up when we were at mile 20 Got to see the finish and then left and drove all the way back that same day. So it was like a huge surprise. I was completely shocked when I saw them. And it was just the boost we needed at mile 20. And then to know that they would be there at the finish line was pretty awesome. Like I cried once I like finished and saw them there. It was really special.
0: That's awesome. And shout out to your mom because she was giving us live uh, updates. She's at mile 13. In the Facebook group, <laughs> as she's so.
1: stalking me as she's driving down to to see the finish. But it was really it was so cool.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I'm glad that, you know, you had your family there. And I'm sure that it was great to feel that support. And I have to say yeah. you were a much better person than me, because if there is one thing in the entire world that I will not allow for, it is wet socks.
1: Oh, it, was, so, it didn't feel great.
0: <laughs> I, I would have been like at the starting line. And as soon as it started raining, I would have been like, I'm done. I <laughs> drove to work one day. It was a 45 minute drive to work. I opened my door and stepped out and immediately put both feet in the puddles. I called my boss and was like, I am sick. I'm not coming in today. And I drove <laughs> 45 minutes home because I wasn't going to have wet socks all day. I can't do it.
1: That's hilarious. Well, I had wet socks for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're better than me. I would have been like, nope, I'm done with this marathon.
1: But yeah, I'm glad it's over. I will continue to run. But um, I think that a marathon is, it's a lot of training for my schedule. So right now I'm one and done, but I don't know if that will be true forever.
0: Well, again, so proud of you. I just, I'm so happy that you finished. I know that was your big concern was just getting through it. So super, super proud. And now I can say that I do a podcast with a marathon runner.
1: Right. Just add that to the resume. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's a very small percentage of people who do it. so
0: That's what I saw. And we're supposed to have resumes. We're totally screwed. I don't have a
1: resume. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's enough about me and the marathon. How are you doing, John? How's everybody at home? And how's your week?
0: Uh, Good. Millie actually ran 36.2 miles this weekend. So no, (laughs) um, no, everybody's been good. We're just hanging out and working. It's been kind of a slow week. Somebody hit our mailbox in the middle of the night think somebody might have uh had a little too much of the adult beverage and hit our mailbox and drove off so i put a new mailbox on this weekend and i've never done that before so that was fun figured that out but other than that it's been good
1: well i am super excited about this week's case i think we're continuing on with the christmas tradition
0: it is it is december so we are sticking with christmas time true crime And I know I sent you the notes, and I'm so happy that you haven't looked at it because I'm going to just tell you this is one of the craziest stories that I've ever heard. And I'm excited to see how you react to it. If you think that it's as insane as I do, then I think this is going to be a really fun episode to go through. And I'm definitely excited to hear what the listeners think. So what do you say? Should we just jump into it?
1: Yeah, let's hear it.
0: Awesome. This week's case begins in Covina, California on December 24th, 2008. Now, Covina is located about 22 miles east of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Valley. It's a quiet, low-crime community, and Christmas there is an especially big deal. Every year, the city would have a Christmas parade, there was tree lighting ceremonies, and people in the area would decorate palm trees. For many, it was the best time of the year, and this included Joseph and Alice Ortega. It was a joyous time and an opportunity for the elder couple to bring the entire family together. The Ortegas had roots in this neighborhood. They had been in the area for many years, and their children had all gone to the local Covina schools. Joseph, or Papa Joe Ortega, was born to proud Mexican immigrants. He was the first in his family born in the United States, and he didn't take the country that he loved for granted. He had built a life in a successful industrial paint business, and now he was focused on enjoying his retirement. He and his wife Alice had been married for 53 years, and according to family, Alice was the perfect grandma. Every year, the Ortega's home would be the location of a special family Christmas Eve gathering. At around 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, the house was full of family. All five of the Ortega's grown children had arrived. James and Charles, the oldest of the siblings, had worked in the family paint business for years. Both sons had brought their wives and children to celebrate the holiday. Also in attendance were the Ortega's three younger daughters, Leticia, Alicia, and Sylvia. The family spent the evening eating, drinking, and enjoying each other's company. In fact, no Ortega party was complete without a poker game. Now, around 1130, the party was beginning to wind down. As the adults gambled and played cards, the doorbell rang. Leticia Ortega's eight-year-old daughter, Katrina, ran to answer the door. When she opened it, there was a man dressed as Santa Claus. The girl let out a scream of excitement. Santa, Santa, she exclaimed. But before Katrina was able to give Santa a holiday hug, he drew two handguns and opened fire. Eight-year-old Katrina was shot in the face. For the Ortegas, panic set in and chaos ensued. Members of the family attempted to flee or take cover as the shots continued to be fired. So I wanted to stop right there. You know, we're painting this beautiful picture of this family that is just loves Christmas and getting everybody together. And then Santa Claus essentially shows up at the door and starts opening fire on everyone. So as we're going through, like, what are your initial thoughts so far?
1: This is insane. He just blatantly shot an eight-year-old just dead in the face. Like, I have no idea anything about this story. And so I just am interested to find out if it's somebody that the Ortegas know very well, or if this was just some random act of someone who knew they had this party every year, or exactly what the motive was to do this.
0: Yeah, and I think as we dive into it, it's going to sink its hooks into you. So I'm really excited to see what you think.
1: Yeah, well, let's keep going. I'm, I'm on the hook now.
0: All right, well, across town at the 911 dispatch center, Christmas Eve was usually an especially quiet evening, but suddenly the lines began ringing off the hook. Frantic calls came in from neighbors and members of the Ortega family about the home being on fire. Firefighters, paramedics, and police were all dispatched to the scene. Now, Police Lieutenant Tim Dunin was one of the first to arrive. When talking about the scene, Doonan had said to describe it as apocalyptic would be accurate. Every window of the home was engulfed in flames, and it was obvious that this wasn't a standard house fire. According to Dunin, it was incredibly chaotic. There was Christmas lights, lights from emergency vehicles, the raging fire, and people in mass panic. According to witnesses, roughly 25 people had been in the home that evening. Authorities were able to make contact with 16 of those guests, but nine of the party goers were still unaccounted for. Papa Joe and Alice Ortega were nowhere to be found, and police hoped that the family had been able to flee the blaze and possibly make it to safety. But they were able to make contact with Leticia Ortega. She, her husband, and Leticia's 8-year-old daughter Katrina had escaped over the fence and made it to a neighbor's. Authorities learned that Leticia and her family had left for the hospital because Katrina had been shot. It was then that witnesses who were able to escape the house began to paint the nightmarish events that had unfolded that evening. They shared that a man dressed as Santa Claus had entered the home and began firing indiscriminately. Survivors had conflicting stories about where the gunman had gone. Some said he fled in a car, while others told officers that he hadn't made it out of the home. As 80 firefighters continued to battle the inferno, police struggled to determine what might have happened. Also, first responders arrived extremely quickly and the house was already ravaged by fire. This was an indicator that their suspect may have used some type of accelerant or detonated an explosive device. This Santa was extremely dangerous, and police were now unsure of where he could be. So again, Olivia, just to talk about where we are, right? The Santa comes in, open fires on this family during their Christmas Eve celebration. Then 911 starts getting calls that the house is engulfed in flames, and there's 80 firefighters there. I mean, it just seems like there's so much happening. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it really seems like there's chaos happening and just so many people that have come and gone and like the mix of the stories and then hearing that this Santa is extremely dangerous was pretty funny to me. But on a more serious note, I'm glad to hear so far that Katrina lived so far from this gunshot wound.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything. We'll, we'll cover it when we get there. But, you know, I have a hard time with little kids. If you listen to last week's short on time episode, that's probably painfully apparent. I will say, you know, tone of my voice isn't the same. That's an indicator that she ends up being okay. But right. Well, at this point, a tip came in. A neighbor of the Ortegas who had been at the holiday party earlier saw a car leaving the dead end street around 1145 p.m. It was a small blue vehicle. The headlights were off as it sped away from the scene. At this point, police put out an APB for a blue Dodge caliber. As the search for the deranged Santa continued, another startling discovery was about to be made. At around 3.10 a.m. on Christmas morning in neighboring Silmar, California, 44-year-old Brad Pardo was arriving home from a Christmas party. To his surprise, his door was unlocked. As Brad entered the home, he discovered something unspeakable. In his living room, lying in a pool of blood, is Brad's brother, Bruce Pardo. Obviously shocked, Brad immediately called 911. Bruce Pardo had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head. Officers immediately noticed a 9mm pistol lying in Bruce's lap, but then another 9mm is found laying on the floor. At first, authorities believed there may have been more than one shooter at the scene. And even for police, confusion set in. In Covina, dawn had broke. Neighbors stood outside the charred home of Joseph and Alice Ortega. The fire had finally been put out, but before authorities could do a proper search of the wreckage, the coals would need to cool. Police were still unable to locate nine of the partygoers and were growing concerned about what they would find while searching the rubble with the help of the LA coroner's office. They began to search through the burned remains of the home. Almost immediately the team begins finding bodies. However, almost all of the bodies were burned beyond recognition and they would later be identified by dental records. Papa Joe Ortega and Alice Ortega and seven other family members have been murdered, but the Ortegas were a well-liked family. And someone wanting to hurt them, let alone murder them, was hard to conceive. And was the shooter responsible for the blaze that came after? Police still didn't know if the shooter was on the loose. Meanwhile, back in Silmar, police were talking with Brad Pardo, whose brother was found dead in the early morning hours. Brad described Bruce as an easygoing, active, friendly, and fun-loving guy. He was convinced that his brother had been murdered. And because of this, police immediately began looking into Bruce Pardo's background. He had worked with computer software and had a bachelor's degree in computer science. Pardo had worked some government contract jobs in the past and had certain levels of security clearance. In fact, at one point, Bruce Pardo was employed at the Jet Propulsion Lab, which was a NASA facility. This clearly meant that Bruce Pardo had an above-average intelligence. So where is your mind at now as we're going through it? Because to me, I was like, okay, there's this massacre in Covina and then 44 miles away, they find this dead body. And, you know, as I'm going through, I'm like, they're going to relate somehow. But I just I didn't know yet. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Right now, I'm still trying to figure out what Bruce Pardo has to do with this and why is he so far away? And it seems like he's a pretty normal guy with pretty significant Uh, security clearance, working for a NASA facility. Like, I just, I don't know how these two connect. I mean, I think I have an idea, but I don't want to spoil it this early on, or guess, for our listeners, but I'm just really intrigued by this, and I just want to know more.
0: (laughs) I know, it's really crazy. So police also learned that a few years prior, Bruce had entered the dating scene looking to find someone to settle down with. This is when he met Sylvia Ortiz. Sylvia was recently divorced and had just moved home to Covina. There was an instant spark and the couple began dating immediately. Then, in 2005, there was wedding bells. The couple, along with Sylvia's three children, moved into a home in Montrose, California. Now, according to neighbors, the couple was loving and kind and Bruce was an attentive father. But earlier in 2008, something had happened between them. Pardo had suffered a knee injury, and because of this, he wasn't able to engage in the same kind of physical activity that he normally did. He started to put on weight, and his behavior changed. Bruce began isolating and neglecting his self-care. He and Sylvia had began not to get along, and Bruce Pardo was no longer the man that Sylvia had married. She decided to leave. She moved out in March of 2018, and the divorce was finalized on December 17th. After three short years, the promising marriage was over. As police continued to dig into the relationship, they made a shocking discovery. Ortiz was Sylvia's last name from a previous marriage. Her maiden name was Ortega. Sylvia was the daughter of Joe and Alice Ortega, and she had been killed in the fire the night before. There was now a connection between the shooting and arson at the Ortega home and the shooting death of Bruce Pardo.
1: Okay, I did not see that one coming. I was trying to figure out how Bruce was involved with this but I did not see it being an ex-wife. I guess I'm thinking it's more of like a revenge case.
0: Yeah, I call these kind of cases take me home country roads because there's so many twists and turns. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. now police were concerned and could the same sinister Santa have targeted both the Ortegas and Bruce Pardo? As the medical examiner worked on identifying the victims and conducting autopsies, one thing became very clear. All of the victims, including Bruce Pardo, had been shot at close range, execution style. Additionally, police wanted to know what may have caused the fire in the Ortega home. Was the killer attempting to destroy evidence or simply inflict maximum damage? As they continued their investigation, police discovered another new lead. Apparently, Santa arriving at the Ortega home on Christmas Eve was not unexpected. In fact, one of the Ortega's neighbors would visit the home every year dressed as St. Nick. He would take photos and pass out presents to the children. Police immediately tracked down this neighbor, and he shared that he used to come to the Ortega's Christmas parties, but he hadn't in about three years because he had moved from the area. The neighbor was, in fact, miles away on the night of the attack, and his alibi checked out. But the fact that the killer knew about the Ortega's tradition signaled that it could be someone close to them. Now, keep in mind, this is all happening Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. So this is a ton of stuff that we're throwing. And exactly like the Dayton Christmas killings, it's compacted into a very small amount of time.
1: Yeah, it seems very similar with a lot of different things happening at the same time and you know, trying to keep all the pieces together.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine being someone like Lieutenant Doonan who's like trying to put all this together and it's like, you know, these firefighters are also there, you know, fighting fires on Christmas Eve, and then these investigators are away from their family. So it's got to be adding like an extra level of of stress and you want to find out who did it. And it's just, it's a, it's a crazy story. Now, later in the afternoon on Christmas day, police are actually able to sit down with Letitia Ortega. Letitia had spent her Christmas morning in the hospital with her husband and wounded daughter. Luckily, Katrina was going to be okay. The bullet had entered the cheek and exited through the jaw. She would have cosmetic damage, but was incredibly lucky to be alive. Letitia shared the events that happened that evening. From her recollection, despite the beard and the costume, she was sure that she knew who attacked her family. She identified the killer Santa as Bruce Pardo. Now, at this point, detectives are shocked. Bruce Pardo had no criminal record. He was well-educated, and he didn't seem to fit the profile of someone who would commit a mass murder.
1: Yeah, and at this point, Bruce is dead. So police are like, okay, you think it's him, but he's dead.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Now, just to be sure, detectives went back to his brother Brad Pardo's home. If Bruce was in fact the killer, the blue Dodge Caliber should be in the area. Police were able to retrieve the keys and the key fob. They then walked up and down the street with the key fob, clicking the lock button. Suddenly, a noise. It was in fact the sound of a blue Dodge Caliber unlocking. But what was found in the car was even more disturbing. When investigators searched the vehicle, they found the Santa suit along with hundreds, if not thousands of rounds of ammunition. Now a flare hung near the ammunition, like a road flare. The string of the flare was tied to the suit and detectives didn't know. When they went to remove the Santa suit, the flare ignited the ammunition. Bruce Pardo had rigged an improvised exploding device. There was a large explosion and the car went up in flames. Now, as the car burned... The live ammunition rounds were actually going off. So I want to just stop right there. You're a cop. You pull the Santa suit off. Suddenly there's a fire. There's an explosion and live rounds are shooting over your head and you're in a neighborhood like yours. (laughs) Like just the idea of the chaos that that would be. And like, just like, please don't let one of these bullets like hit a neighbor or something like that. Like I would, oh my God, I would be having a heart attack.
1: Yeah, like I get that he had this revenge and was apparently trying to go after his ex-wife's family is what I'm speculating at this point. But setting up, what was the point of setting this up in the car? Like you were going to hurt so many other innocent people that have no involvement in this. Like he doesn't know who he's going to be hurting at
0: this point. Yeah, for me, I think whoever did this, it was about destroying the evidence.
1: Yeah, this is this is wild too. Like just wild.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine like looking out my front window and just, just gunshots
1: and bullet sounds. And I mean, just that's crazy.
0: Now, luckily, no one was injured, but the car and all the evidence inside was completely destroyed. However, the discovery of that car and the evidence inside proved that Letitia Ortega was likely right. Bruce Pardo was the shooter dressed as Santa Claus. But police still didn't know why he attacked the Ortegas or how he ended up dead in his brother's home and then Bruce's autopsy came back. Pardo was found to have gunpowder residue on his hands and clothing, but more shockingly, after investigating the trajectory of the entrance and exit wounds, it was determined that Bruce Pardo had shot himself. Additionally, the body had severe burns on the hands and arms, and pieces of the Santa suit that Pardo was wearing had melted to his body. Police now knew for certain that Pardo was in fact the killer, but the question of why still remained.
1: I wonder if, it sounds like he was probably pretty injured from all of this with the burns and then the the Santa suit being like burned to him and melted to him. I almost wonder if like, maybe if he wasn't hurt that bad, if he would have still killed himself.
0: Oh, we're going to get to it. Okay. Olivia, you know that I'm a girl dad.
1: Of course I do, John. You have an adorable four-year-old.
0: That's right. And I have to be honest. I haven't always been great at picking out the cutest outfits for her, but I have found the solution.
1: Now, what's that?
0: Great Lakes Kids Apparel. From dresses, pajamas, raglan tees, rompers, and more, Great Lakes Kids Apparel has everything, and my kiddo loves their clothes.
1: But aren't kids' clothes really expensive? And they wear them out and outgrow them so fast.
0: Well, that's the best part. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes, so no matter how hard your child plays, they last. In fact, I have to fight my daughter to take them off long enough just to get them into the wash.
1: That sounds awesome, but do they take forever to ship?
0: No way. Great Lakes Kids Apparel is based out of Ohio and offers fast shipping, usually within two business days. Plus, they offer free shipping on all orders over $50, and you can sign up for their awesome rewards program and earn GLK bucks.
1: Wow, John, that sounds like I need to send out some gifts from Great Lakes Kids Apparel. How do I check them out?
0: All you have to do is head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description to start shopping today. Again, that's GreatLakesKidsApparel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKS at checkout to save 20% off your first order. Detectives were left scratching their heads until they discovered another lead. A man in Pasadena called to report a RAV4 parked in front of his home. The man had never seen the vehicle before, and when police ran the plate information, it came back as a rental car that had been purchased by Bruce Pardo. Pardo had actually doctored the registration to make it look as if he was the owner. So he rented this car and then was trying to make it look as if it was actually his vehicle. Luckily, this vehicle wasn't booby-trapped like the Caliber, but the inside was full of supplies. Investigators believe that Pardo was going to use the RAV4 as a getaway vehicle and flee to Mexico. But even more shocking, the car was parked down the street from a man named Scott North. North was Sylvia's divorce attorney. North was completely unaware of Pardo's diabolical intentions, but was unhurt. You know, So if you're listening and you're kind of wondering, well, why is that important? He just murdered the entire Ortega family, and then he has his getaway car parked down the street from her divorce attorney, which is a pretty good indicator that if he would have made it to that getaway car, Scott North and his family would have probably been next on the list. So it's, you know, I'm sure once he found out about it, he was like, oh, my God, thank God he didn't make it here, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he that's what I was saying. Like, I think with him being more hurt than he probably intended, I'm assuming that's why at this point he must have killed himself. And maybe he would have done it regardless. But there's only so much adrenaline to get you through the pain of being burned and clothes melted to you. I mean, just think about when you accidentally, like, burn a piece of plastic and it gets on you. Or just think of, like, hot glue burning your skin. You know, I can't imagine that polyester Santa suit on your skin feels very good.
0: No, not at all. It sounds like it would be so incredibly painful.
1: But you know what? He deserved it.
0: That's crazy. I feel like we've used the word crazy a lot, but the story is just like legitimately off the rails.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else you say other than like a rogue Santa is crazy.
0: Right. Now, when police interviewed North, he shed additional light on Sylvia and Bruce's divorce. Police learned that Sylvia had received a letter in the mail. And in that letter was information on a tax write-off for a child being claimed by Bruce Pardo. Sylvia learned that Bruce had a child from a previous relationship that he had kept a secret. As they dug even further into the relationship, they made a heartbreaking discovery. Three years prior to meeting Sylvia, Bruce was living with his girlfriend and their small son, Matthew. In January of 2001, Matthew was about 13 months old. Bruce's girlfriend had left to go grocery shopping and it was Bruce's job to watch Matthew. When the girlfriend returned, Bruce was still sitting on the couch watching TV but she was unable to locate the child. She then discovered Matthew in the backyard pool. Now he survived, but he suffered a lifelong injury due to lack of oxygen to the brain. Matthew would end up spending the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Now, after the event, Bruce abandoned both his son and girlfriend. It was as if they never existed. Bruce paid child support and ultimately claimed Matthew as a dependent on his tax returns. Sylvia was not aware of any of this, and when she found out, she became rightfully upset. Upon learning that the man that she had married was responsible for the near death of his child, Sylvia decided to leave. In July of the same year, Bruce was actually fired from his job. He had been caught fraudulently billing customers for hours of work that he never actually did. When his employer found out, he was terminated immediately. In a matter of just a few months, Bruce Pardo had lost his family and his career. And when his divorce was finalized in December of 2008, he began to create his plan for revenge. Not only would Bruce Pardo kill his ex-wife, he would kill everyone that she loved. Authorities secured a search warrant and headed to Pardo's Montrose, California home. While searching, Bruce's plan became abundantly clear. Investigators found the boxes that the guns had arrived in, boxes of ammunition, and a literal to-do list of things to do to prepare for his monstrous plan. It was clear that Pardo had been planning the massacre for some time. And in fact, he had a neighbor that said right after Halloween, he went out on his front gate and hung up a bunch of like Christmas ornaments, almost to say like, all right, Christmas is coming. Like it's time his way of signaling. Yeah, it's going to go down.
1: He has literally lost it. He's lost it all and his mind.
0: Yeah. Now at this point, a workshop behind Pardo's home was searched. Police found cut rubber piping and a motor from a sprayer unit that had been attached to a CO2 canister. Pardo had actually been working on a homemade flamethrower. With this new evidence, police believe they now knew the timeline of the evening. They believe that Pardo left his home around 1045 on Christmas Eve. Knowing that the neighbor would visit dressed as Santa, he wore the suit that night. Pardo arrived and parked in the Ortega's neighbor's driveway. He then lugged the homemade flamethrower, wrapped like a present, to the front door of the Ortega's home. He rang the doorbell and was greeted by Katrina. Wearing protective eyewear, Pardo reached into his pockets and removed the two handguns. He then began to open fire, striking Katrina first. Then, Sylvia's older brothers, James and Charles. Pardo then shot Sylvia in front of Joseph and Alice Ortega, her parents, before turning the gun on them. During the panic and the chaos, Letitia was able to pick up her daughter and escape out the front door. Bruce Pardo continued to execute members of the family, including Sylvia's sisters, Alicia and James's wife, Teresa. Family members attempted to escape by fleeing from exits and jumping out of windows. And when he ran out of ammo, Bruce Pardo wheeled the homemade flamethrower in through the front door. Bruce had connected a spray nozzle and a hose to two canisters, one with pressurized oxygen and the other one with high octane fuel. So if you know anything about, you know, fire, oxygen helps fire breathe, you know. Pardo then proceeded to dump roughly 18 gallons of fuel into the home. In his pocket, Pardo carried road flares. Police believe that his plan was to toss a flare into the home as he was leaving, but even though he was of higher intelligence, Pardo did not take account for the fact that there may be an open flame in the home. It's believed that at some point the mist from Pardo's fuel dispenser made contact with a candle and ignited without warning. A flash explosion occurred and Bruce was badly burned while wearing the Santa suit. He made his way to the caliber and fled in a panic. Now, luckily for divorce attorney, Pardo drove about 40 miles to his brother's home in Silmar, but his brother was not home. Bruce was alone. He was badly burned with the Santa suit literally fused to his skin. Authorities believe the pain would have been incredibly unbearable. And it was then that Bruce Pardo took his own life. The effect that the Covina massacre had on the community lasts even still. For Letitia, church on Christmas morning is now followed by a trip to the cemetery. But... Letitia is determined to be a beacon of light for those who have endured a similar type of darkness. She founded Letitia's hope and now offers grief support services to those who have lost a loved one. Oof. So what you think?
1: This is nuts. This is nuts. I am glad that Letitia Katrina and Letitia's husband survived, but she lost her entire family. And then, Had this burn not happened, so many more people could have been killed. You know, he's lucky that the divorce attorney and his family didn't get murdered, that the officers or any bystanders weren't killed with the ammunition going off in the car. I mean, I think that something just flipped a switch in Bruce's mind. And I get that, you know, bad things are happening in his life, but not so bad that like you kill your whole family. I mean, this is technically his family Yeah, over something that he did in his life prior. Like, this is your mistake, buddy, not Sylvia's. She's just mad that you've lied to her this whole time.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because, like, you lose your whole family, but then you also have to deal with survivor's guilt. Like, that's a really Mm -hmm. real thing. And I know um, Sylvia's son actually survived. And when they started opening fire, he ran— out the back, you know, you just do what your instinct kicks in. But in some of the research that I was doing, he talked about that being his biggest regret was, you know, running away instead of running to help his mom. But he, you know, he says his faith, you know, for his family that is still with him, you know, Bruce Pardo couldn't take away their faith or their love for one another, which is, yeah. you know, inspiring, you know, and it's, we talk about it a lot, but to see someone like Letitia take such a dark and terrible tragedy and still find some way to help others and to find like that ray of positivity in it. It's just mind blowing. You know, it's, it's just bless her for being able to do that. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. We need more people like that.
1: Yeah. If the world had more Letitia's in it, we would all be better. Well, this was a crazy one, John, and I know we've said crazy probably 20 times in this episode, but I just couldn't even chime in to talk because I just wanted to know what was happening. But I do feel pretty smart to know that that's why he killed himself. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's funny too, because I researched this case over two days, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first day, you know, I went to Karim, And, you know, for those who are listening, my wife is a therapist. You know, she deals a lot with mental illness and things like that. And I was like, man, you know, like just this guy getting divorced, you know, it seems like that would be a whole lot to just go from having no criminal record to, you know, my wife left me and now I'm going to kill her entire family. I was like, that seems like a Extreme. like a big leap. And, you know, she was telling me, she was like, yeah, you know, it's white guys in like their thirties and forties that are like the most dangerous. And then I started researching the second day and I learned that he had this child that almost died and then he lost his job and then his wife left him. And she was like, yeah, the signs were all there. Like it was going to happen. So it's incredible to see how these stressors and like these things, events happening can push a person with mental illness to just snap like that. You know, and when it happens, it's like all hell breaks loose. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Like what is the coping mechanism that we have that normal people don't snap?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would be really sad, Mm -hmm. you know, I would get really skinny because when I'm depressed, I don't eat, you know, I'm just, that's how I roll. So like I would, you know, I would look as good as I've ever looked, but I would just be incredibly sad. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything that could happen to me. But again, I also don't have mental illness, you know what I mean? So, I mean, not that kind of mental, everyone's got a little bit of mental illness, but I don't have like that mental illness, but you know, it's like these flags are there, but you don't know to look for them. And then it's just something erupts, you know?
1: Well, John, I'm jumping right into the deadbolt test.
0: Let's do it. Where do you fall?
1: This is a 10. This is a family member. I mean, yeah, they just got divorced, but this is a family member. Who came in and at point blank shot almost all of his ex-family, burned down the house, was shooting children, was possibly going to shoot an attorney. You know, obviously was reckless from the get-go when he let his younger child almost drown to death in their swimming pool. But like, that's scary. As a divorcee, it's scary.
0: <laughs> I forget that you're a divorcee <laughs> Me too. <sometimes. laughs> She's trying to make it relatable. (laughs) I'm right there with you. This is a 10 for me too. Like, I think for me, it's the planning, right? Because like Sylvia probably didn't know. You know what I mean? Sylvia probably didn't know that from October. She was
1: just trying to protect herself and her family.
0: Yeah. I mean, she had no idea this guy was ordering guns and stockpiling ammunition and making a hit list. And so to be just with your family playing poker, you know, we play poker with a group of friends periodically just to think about like, Somebody showing up and it didn't even throw any red flags. You know what I mean? You've got this like sense of security. It's like, oh, the neighbor came and he's got presents for the kids. And then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's not at all what happened.
0: No, this is a hundred percent a 10 for me just because it's so it's one of those things where it's random, but completely not random. You know what I mean? Like it feels like a random act, but there's so much planning that goes into it. I don't know. It's just, oh man, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I am so. Happy that Katrina lived and that you know Letitia is doing something positive out of all this, but it's still I mean the last two days of research on the side got out of bed and double checked the locks twice. So I'm putting it, it's a 10. It's a solid 10.
1: Heck yeah. No Santa Claus is showing up at my door. He will not be allowed in.
0: Dude, the next time like I see like a mall Santa or something, I'm gonna be like Bruce Pardo. Yep, side eyeing. So that is where we fall on the killer Santa, Bruce Pardo. Olivia and I both giving it high tens, but we want to know where does this fall on your devil test? You can let us know, reach out to us, find us on Instagram, check the locks pod, Twitter at check the locks, join our Facebook group. We just hit 600 members in the Facebook group tonight. So, and we talked about it a little bit before, but you know, it is so awesome to be part of this community and you know, people cheering you on for your marathon from a bunch of different states, a bunch of different places from literally other countries. You know what I mean? It was, was pretty cool to see. So if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We would love to have you. Olivia, I don't know about you. This was a crazy story. It hurt my head a little bit. I would love to hear a five-star review. What do you think?
1: I would love to read a five-star review. Would you love to? I would love to.
0: All right, I would love to hear it.
1: This week's five-star review comes from Cassifras. They said, I'm a lover of all things true crime. I've listened to numerous podcasts and can at times be critical. This is a great podcast. The hosts have a great rapport and they get right into the cases. And my favorite thing is there are cases I've never heard of before. Keep up the great work. Maybe someday you'll want to do two cases a week. I don't think any of us will complain. Cassie. So thank you, Cassifras or Cassie, for leaving us this wonderful five-star review. We appreciate it
0: yes Cassie thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that review and if it's the Cassie that I'm thinking about you are very active in the Facebook group so definitely reach out to us we would love to send you some stuff we got stickers we got buttons we have some new keychains that are coming they just actually shipped today so check the locks keychain what a better reminder you know what I mean but we would love to hear from you Cassie again reach out to us Instagram check the locks pod Twitter check the locks I have a feeling you're in the Facebook group so reach out to us there if you're not a social person That's not a problem. Head over to checkthelockspod.com, Click the email button. Send us an email and let us know it's you, and we would be more than happy to get you out some stuff. Also, while you're at checkthelockspod.com, hit that microphone button and leave us a voicemail. We don't have one this week, and I can already tell just looking at Olivia's face. This is an audio medium, but she is visually pouting. So leave us a voicemail. We love playing them. We love hearing from you. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review right on the podcast, what's the best way to do that?
1: Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our main show page, scroll all the way down where you see all five stars, click all five stars, tell us what you like, and maybe yours will be the next one right on the podcast
0: yeah and like we talked about before we want to hear from you these reviews really help us out they get us in show recommendations they help our community grow get us out to more listeners so thank you for leaving those reviews if you already have if not click the link in the show notes go for it speaking of supporting the show we have a patreon so if you are interested in financially supporting check the locks podcast you can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks we have a bunch of great tiers stickers coffee mugs t-shirts all sorts of exclusive stuff that you can only get for being a patreon members so if you can financially support the show and you would like to do that patreon.com forward slash check the locks if you can't financially support the show we totally get it right listening hanging out with us every single week helps us just as much if not more so thank you if you've been listening you're coming listening the show hanging out with us every week share the show with your friends your family let them know again we're all about growing this community so that is all that we have got for you this is episode number 32 which is kind of crazy
1: I know it's going by so fast.
0: I know. I love it. I'm super excited when we get to 64. Let's double up. You know what I mean. <laughs> Make sure that you are subscribing to check the locks on your favorite podcast app. So you never miss an episode, especially of our true crime for the short on time episodes that drop on Wednesday. We will see you again next Monday with a brand new, truly terrifying Christmas time, true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week.
1: Bye.